this guy had a camera and he said, my friend, my friend, come. He said, my friend, my friend, come on, get on, hop on, free to get on, take picture for your family. So I hop on the back of his camera, get up on the wall, try out to throw up a piece of it, and I'm smiling on the camera. I took a picture, I'm like, thanks, man. Uh, and then he goes, yeah! And we start, the camera started running a little bit, and I'm like, hold on, hold on, hold on, what's going on? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm ready to get down. And he's like, my friend, free to get on, pay to get off. <laughs> and I'm like, I can't believe this dude just got me. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he got so I had you. to come up out of some change to, uh, to get off of that camel. <laughs> Otherwise, I would have been headed off into the desert. <laughs> oh, he said it was free to get off, but you had to pay to get off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, I'll never forget that moment. <laughs> yeah. Hello, hello. Welcome to Young, Gifted, and Abroad, perspectives on studying abroad from past and present students of color. My name is Danielle, and I'm so excited to be able to talk to you today because today I have my friend Edward, or Eddie, as the guest. Now, you may remember a few episodes back, I mentioned how earlier this year I took a chance and reached out to a handful of selected strangers from Twitter and invited them to be guests on the show. And I said that Deja from episode 74 was the first person from that bunch. And now Edward is the last person from that bunch. I'm really pleased with how this is all gone. Everyone has been such a joy to talk to and has had such fascinating stories to share. And Edward is no different. So Edward is, among many things, he is a professional speaker. Public speaking is what he does and he's very passionate about spreading light and motivating people through public speaking. And he's also a world traveler. He's been to over 50 countries so far, and he got started with traveling internationally back when he was a freshman in college. For a few weeks during his freshman year, he went on a culture-focused program in Egypt, which was a huge deal for him at the time, uh, coming from Indiana and having never traveled internationally before, and also still being uh, a teenager at the time. That was a monumental experience for him that really got the ball rolling in terms of him growing into the traveler that he is today. And so after graduating from college, he embarked on a teaching career that took him to even more places around the world. He lived in Japan and South Korea and Oman and Saudi Arabia and visited dozens of places in between. And he even, at one point, spent six weeks studying Spanish in Colombia. So Edward has not only seen many parts of the world, but he's seen the world from many different angles um, based on what he was doing at the time, either studying or you know, living and working in the various locations that he found himself in. So I was really glad to get to speak with him about some of his stories. He has so many, of course, he couldn't tell me them all. But we touched on a lot of the highlights. It was just really fun hearing about all the really cool opportunities that he got to have. Some of them once-in-a-lifetime opportunities, even, that he got to have when he was living in this country or that country. Camels came up a couple of times. <laughs> There's a very particular festival that he got to witness multiple times. He got to be on national television in a certain country. And he even got to climb a really famous mountain. So in an effort to not spoil anything further, I'll leave it at that. And you can listen to Eddie talk about the amazing things that he's done thus far. I hope you get a lot out of it. It's a nice dude. It's a nice dude to listen to. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy my interview with my friend, Edward G. Young III. 
No problem, no problem. I, I'm always willing to talk about travel and connect with people that are just as passionate about travel and sharing stories of travel with others. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, okay, so w- why don't we go ahead and get started with you introducing yourself a bit, if you don't mind. All right, um, well, I'm originally from Indiana, Gary, Indiana, born and raised. And uh, grew up like many of my other peers that grew up here locally, um, kind of in a bubble almost. Mm. And what I mean by that is I really never saw myself as someone that would one day be able to travel mm. further than, you know, the confines of our country. So once I got to college and took my first trip abroad, that's what really opened up the world me and showed me that it's easy to travel and and, and there's so many places we can see. Um, so I've traveled abroad as a university student. I've lived abroad working um, jobs ranging from baseball to kindergarten teacher to university professor to mm. government contractor. So uh, I've pretty much used whatever means I could to just continually explore the world. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, I remember in, um, I think in one of your emails, you said you had been to like 50 countries and like lived yeah. in five countries. And so it's amazing to think that you went from, you know, growing up not thinking you would be able to get out there and travel like internationally um, to having this wide range of experiences in all these different countries. I think that's really fascinating how that happened. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. It's funny how. Life works, you know? Yeah, um, for sure. As you mentioned, you went abroad in um, in college. Was that when you went to Egypt? It was. Okay. It was. So I know that it was like, you know, years ago. But if well, you could tell Don't age me. Don't age me. I wasn't going to say it. I wasn't going <laughs> to... <laughs> <laughs> I only mentioned that it was years ago because I don't expect you to just remember couple, everything. Just a couple years ago. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't expect you to remember everything about it, but can you tell me um, what led you to make that decision to go to Egypt? Well, um, I really didn't seek it out, to mm. be honest. Um, I was a freshman, and... Uh, one of the administrators of the school happened to also be like a mentor to me. He was uh, from Indiana. He had graduated high school with my mom, so it was a very close family friend. Mm. And he was always trying to look out for my best interest and, and introduce opportunities that would help allow me to grow uh, and expand myself culturally. And they ran a program which consisted of a semester of cultural study, uh, which was capped off with um, a trip abroad once the semester finished. It was a short trip. It was, it was only a few weeks, but um, he, I, I got wind of this program first through my mom. He told my mom, not I should go on this. He said, Eddie's going on this. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> Didn't have a choice. <laughs> and and um, I was kind of indifferent at first. I was like, okay, I'm going to Egypt. All right. No big deal, but the more we started like studying the culture and, and the language a little bit, mm. the more I started to get excited. And and I still have a picture of me and my mom and my dad in the airport before I flew off oh. uh, that first day to leave. And that's when it really became real to me that I was actually going to fly halfway across the world to a place that is completely unfamiliar to me. Yeah. The beauty of that whole trip is um, it was through uh, a program that was for largely minority students that were at our university. Mm. Um, so, so students that came from a similar background as myself, uh, given that the school was in Wisconsin, most of the students were from Milwaukee. Um, but inner city is inner city when you look at the major cities around the country. Mm. And it was full of kids that probably grew up just like me, not thinking they'd ever step foot outside of America. So yeah, I think that made it even more special. The fact that I traveled with like-minded uh, 
fears. Um, right. And really, ultimately, looking back on that trip, it set the ball for everywhere I've been since because it gave me the confidence in knowing that it's possible. And it gave me the drive and motivation to want to go further and travel more. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. I understand how um, that that trip would have been so influential. So when you think about that that trip, are there any, like, I don't know, any really memorable moments? <laughs> so many, so many. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny, and I talk about this sometimes. Sometimes I can't remember things that happened last week, but some moments from that trip I'll, mm. I'll just never forget. <laughs> and um, one of those moments w- was the very first night we stepped off the train, uh, the plane, uh, when we arrived. We arrived very late. I remember that. Um, first thing that hit me upon arrival was the heat <laughs> once we opened the door mm. and Ed went and walked outside. But more than just the weather, I can remember walking through the markets late at night and I had never been to New York, but I remember saying to myself, this is what New York must feel like, a, a city that never sleeps because it's the wee morning hours and Cairo is just bustling and people are up and mm-hmm. moving around and grooving. And I can remember particularly walking through a market. There was an Egyptian man and, and he said to um, me and some of the other guys that were in our group, welcome home, welcome brothers oh, back wow. to home. And that really, um, it's, it struck a chord. It was like, yeah, I'm, I'm in Africa. This mm-hmm. is crazy. Huh. Okay. Yeah. I, um, I feel like I would also feel like almost humbled in a way. I don't know. It's like, definitely, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. For sure. And I had a number of, of humbling experiences there as well. Um, one in particular, but I'll just share another quick story. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. We were, we were at the pyramids, the Great Pyramids, um, and and if you've seen the Great Pyramids in pictures, one thing that really caught me off guard was I expected to have to travel for miles and days out into the desert and uh, and camp out to finally get to the Great Pyramids. But no, they're right on the edge of town, mm. uh, across the street from the pyramids is a pyramids hotel, or at least there was when I was there. Mm. Uh, it's a McDonald's like across the street from the pyramids, so. That kind of was a bit disappointing, but still the the magnificence of the structures once you got up close mm-hmm. brought you back to, to that sense of awe. Um, but one particular moment I remember from being around the Great Pyramids is there are a lot of peddlers um, and, and just people trying to sell you little things or trying to sell you a, a ride on a camel and, and, and different things. Mm. This was before, I'm going to date myself a little. This was before digital cameras. So we had our, we had our disposable cameras out. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, I was with my friends and this guy had a camera and he said, my friend, my friend, come. He said, my friend, my friend, come on, get on, hop on, free to get on, take picture for your family. Um, excuse my accent. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, I said, do you think I should do it? They were like, yeah, yeah, do it. So I hop on the back of his camera, I get up on the wall. Try out to throw up the peace sign and I'm smiling on the camera. And, uh, and then I'm like, thanks, man. And they took a picture. I'm like, thanks, man. Uh, and then it goes, yeah. And we start, the camel started running a little bit. And I'm like, hold on, hold on, hold on. What is going on? <laughs> and he's like, and I'm like, I'm ready to get down. And he's like, my friend, free to get on, pay to get off. <laughs> and I'm like, I can't believe this dude just got me. <laughs> And I remember I pulled out like some local money, and he's like, "My friend, I have a family. I need American dollars." Oh wow! <laughs> and uh, yeah, he got so I had you. to come up out of some change to uh, to get <laughs> off of that camel. <laughs> Otherwise, I would have been headed off into the desert. Oh, he said it was free to get off, but you had to pay to get off. Yeah. <laughs> oh my, that's that's funny. Yeah, sorry, that's really. <laughs> yeah i'll never forget that moment <laughs> yeah you mentioned the pyramids uh, and maybe this is like a, a common or maybe even slightly ignorant question but like did you go inside and if you did 
Were there any mummies in there, <laughs> to your knowledge? <laughs> you know, I'm going to be honest, and, and I kick myself over this every single day. Hmm. Um, the Great Pyramid in particular, they don't allow people to go inside anymore, at least from the most recent knowledge of my understanding. Hmm. But at the time I went, they still did. But me being a poor college freshman, I said, you know what? Oh, I'm not going to go inside. It's not that big a deal. And I didn't go inside. It was probably like $10 or something ridiculously affordable. And I was like, no, nah, I'm going to hold on to my money. Yeah. Um, so I kick myself all the time about not going inside. That's, that's probably what I regret most from that trip. Mm. Okay. Well, I, I mean, I, I can understand that if... um. You know, the headspace you were in at the time, if you were used to being that way about, you know, having to make decisions about what to spend or what's too expensive and whatnot, and you go to another place, but you still have the same mindset because that's just, that's just how you think. That's how you live. And so right. I, right. Can, I, I had a, a plan. I'm like, I'm going to spend money on this, this, this. I'm not going to deviate from that plan. And, and, and I stuck to it, but I think I, I should have made some adjustments. I should have made a game time decision in that moment yeah for sure but um at least you got to see it though right it's funny you said how because that's what i thought as well when you said you thought it was going to be like you'd have to trek out in the desert somewhere and it was really just like outside of town (laughs) i totally thought it was going to be way out in the desert like i was was shocked at how close it was to the same (laughs) yeah yeah oh my goodness so as you said you were you went with like other minority students, other students who were from a similar socioeconomic background as you were. Um, just wondering if maybe if there were any challenges with, you know, being in a new country for the first time. Um, I mean, maybe it was better since you were, like you said, with like-minded people, but I don't know if you remember any, anything that might have been kind of difficult about that experience in Egypt. You know, honestly, not really. Um, I was a freshman. It was the end of my freshman year. Yeah. And I was, I believe, the youngest person that took part in that trip. Uh, mm. So with that said, many of them had done the program previous years. So it, even though it might have been their first trip to Africa, they had been abroad before. I see. It was similar program at the university. But for me, I was just brand new. Um, going back to the fact that we were all from similar background, we all kind of had a sense of street sense right. to an effect to where we weren't really intimidated with the difference or or just being out on our own. So that was, that was really nice. Mm. Mm, okay. And did you have any, um, did you have like an interpreter or something with you all? I don't know how much, um, oh, I'm blanking. I'm blinking on what language they speak in Egypt. Arabic. 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 Thank you. It was right there. And, I, <laughs> and then it wasn't. I don't know if you had to learn any Arabic before you went or if maybe you had some sort of guide or interpreter with you to help, to help you all communicate and, you know, just get through day to day. We learned we, we learned a bit of basic phrases, um, but we did have a guy that was with us pretty much um, all the time, except the hours when we were able to go off and, and kind of have our own free time. Um, he was the coolest dude there. His name was Osama. I still remember his name. Mm. And, and he was like a legit boss. Like, I remember one time we were in a bus and this car was in the middle of the street. Osama, Osama instead of telling the bus driver to hop the car, he got out of the bus, walked up to the guy's car, had him get out of the car, moved his car. <laughs> <laughs> And then got back in the bus and said, okay, we keep going. <laughs> <laughs> like it's nothing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So good. You had, um, you know, like a, a guide with you. That's <laughs> <laughs> funny. He took a very hands-on approach to solving that problem. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Okay. Um, and uh, remember, as a, um, as a thanks to him when we left. Again, I'm going to date myself massively, uh, but I gave him my discman <laughs> as a gift. 
because this was before MP3 players too. Mm. So I had a disc that I would listen to CDs on and, and he thought it was the coolest thing. So I said, Hey, you can have it, man. Oh, wow. You just gave it to him. Wow. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure you appreciated that. Yeah. yeah. You were there for a few weeks, right? So mm-hmm. was it mostly like, Cultural exposure was that the purpose of the trip, or uh, I guess I don't I don't know how things were arranged. Like what what was planned for y'all to do when y'all were there? It was it was definitely cultural. Uh, we traveled um, around Cairo. We went to Luxor, visited various temples, Temple of Luxor, Temple of Karnak. We visited a lot of tombs, a lot of historical landmarks. We took a a short cruise on the Nile. Uh, we knocked out pretty much a lot of the major areas of historical importance that were near us. So mm. It was very, it was educational, it was historical, it was cultural. It's kind of a blend of all of those things. I see. Okay. Well, it sounds like for, you know, your first time abroad, it sounds like you had a really amazing trip, which is great. Uh, it was, it was incredible. It was, it was beyond amazing. Like I said, it, it shaped who I am. Yeah. In so many ways, uh, you know, it was short in direction, but it just opened my eyes to a world that's that's much smaller than we make it out to be. Mm-hmm. Now, full disclosure, I did watch your TED Talk that you did last year. Oh, you did? I did. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Um, and I remember you mentioned that, you know, after Egypt, it, it, was, it was actually a, a, a number of years before you went abroad again so i was just hoping you could speak to um why you decided to wait uh so long to get out there again well i I also played sports in college Mm. and and there was a period when i lost my mom in college oh i'm sorry and and, no no it's okay Um, but combine um those things i just felt like it would almost be selfish of me Mm. to go out and travel and have fun when I could be, you know, giving time to my mom in her last few months or, or giving time to, to the sports that I, I was trying to commit myself to at that, at that moment. But as soon as I graduated, and there was no more sports or what I thought no more sports. I was like, all right, I want to explore. I want to get out. And, and, and that's when I got yeah. Okay. So, so when you did um, travel abroad again, where where did you go? I went to Japan, uh, and it's funny because I had no clue where I was going to go before. <laughs> I just knew I I decided I'm going abroad, hmm. going to somewhere, and uh, I had a former professor of mine that that was also like a mentor. Her name is Doctor Luther, and and I got this brilliant idea that I was going to just book a flight to China and volunteer in some capacity in China. Mm. And, and I thought it sounded brilliant. And I told her this, and she said, you know, you need a visa, and uh, you might not be able to stay there as long as you... And she really, like, broke it down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and basically said, no, you know, it's not going to go how you have it planned in your head. And, and, and I appreciate that. From her, and then she um, introduced me to one of her colleagues that specialized in uh, in Asia and East Asian studies. And, and she said, I, "I can't tell you much more beyond that, but he could probably give you some advice and and, and guide you a little bit mm. better as to to some better opportunities for getting abroad." And um, and he did. He um, I hadn't even thought about going to Japan. I just, I don't know why I was, I was so sad on going to China. It's just, I think I might have just spun a globe and that's where I landed. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but he uh, steered me away from China and toward Japan. And then the more I studied it, I was like, yeah, this would be super cool. And I ended up going over there. I took part in uh, their exchange and teaching program called the JET program. Mm, okay. Yeah, I've heard uh, heard about the jet program plenty of times before. Uh, so that so that means you were there for at least a year, right? Yeah, I was there for three years total. Three years, wow, wow. And where in Japan were you? I was in 
the most rural prefecture in the entire nation. The prefecture is like a state, a version of a state. So mm-hmm. I was in the most rural prefecture in the entire nation. Um, it's called Totori. Uh, oh, is that small. where they have the camels? The, yeah, that's where the sand dunes are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not many people know. That. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty impressive. That you, <laughs> I think I must have seen a video or something of someone going to the sand dunes or something before, and it just stuck in my mind that they were camels in Japan. And so that's just an obscure <laughs> fact that I guess I have filed away. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> but that's good. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. sand dunes every year when I was out there. It was, it was a truly magical, beautiful location. I couldn't have asked to be in a better location. And it's funny. Before I left, I was wanting to be close to Tokyo because I, I thought I wanted to be near a city and near some action. But, man, the countryside of Japan is just so peaceful and, and healing in so many ways. I had mountains on one side of me and the sea of Japan on another side mm. and just the calm and friendliness of all of the people in the small village I lived in it was really beautiful wow so yeah so that rural life was actually proved to be really nice for you really enjoyable definitely yeah definitely. okay how did you find teaching how, um, was it I don't know some people don't like it and some people just start doing it and they find that they love it. So I don't know where you, how you found it to be. Well, before I went to Japan, I had taught for a year, uh, high school English for a year and in the States. Uh, so I was familiar with teaching. Mm-hmm. However, it's much different, uh, much different style of, of teaching. Once I got over there, it was more like we were co-teachers almost. Um, mm-hmm. But I found it, I found it to be, quite rewarding, especially, and I think that can be attested to the location. Um, I was in a more rural location, so classes were immensely huge, like they could have been in a place like Tokyo. Mm. Students were very, very respectful, and and I was able to really forge some good relationships. I helped out after-school programs. We um, started a newsletter in the town, the English newsletter that I helped start up. I did a pen pal exchange with some students I had in a local school here in uh, my hometown of here in Indiana. So uh, mm. it was it was very rewarding, and, and I felt like both myself and the students I worked with were able to grow together. Oh, that's good. I'm glad that that um, that happened that way. Um, how was that adjustment from you know living in the states to living in a different country for? The first time um, for me it was yeah, amazing because it was my first time living on my own uh, oh, okay. <laughs> I, was, wow. I was 23 I believe mm. when I left to go abroad uh, I mean I had I had a, a single dorm room in college if you count that <laughs> but <laughs> it was my first time really having bills and being on my own uh, it was freeing um, pushed me to learn more about what it means to be an adult and, and I think it it actually helps to mature me much faster than I would have had I not gone abroad at that time in my life. Mm. Yeah, and you stayed for three years, so I guess, you know, you must have been feeling good enough about it to to stick with it, you know, both living in Japan and uh, working as a teacher. For so, sure, for sure. And yeah. um and, and I, did, I had the opportunity to play on our local baseball team out there. We had some televised games. It was, like, super exciting and, and, and just a thrill to be able to live out a childhood dream and play baseball as an adult um, competitively. Uh, I even, for a moment, seriously considered um, attempting to have a trial in the Japanese majors, like their highest league. Uh, mm. And I even had some coaches show some interest, but ultimately I made the decision that I was going to leave Japan at the top of the mountain on the highest note and, and then continue my world tour, so to say. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I see. Okay, so so baseball was your sport. Okay. 
Wow, yeah. I'm glad that you got to do to do that while you were in um in Japan. There was something else about Japan I wanted to ask. Oh, yes. Okay, so not to harp on the TED Talk or anything, but you mentioned something about a naked man festival. <laughs> Is was that yep. during the 3 years that you were living in Japan that you participated in or went to that festival? Yeah, I, I went there. I, I went there all three years. It, it's, it's annual. It's called the Hadakamak oh. City. Okay. And that literally translates to Naked Man Festival. Um, it's in Okayama Prefecture, which is a neighboring prefecture to where I was living. And um, it's usually in winter, uh, what, what is typically the coldest day of the year for that location. And yeah, it's just one big party and there are guys in loincloths and little slippers running through the streets naked until they reach a temple and they're like fighting for these fertility sticks, fighting for their lives to get the stick of fertility hmm. uh, from the temple. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't participate, like actually run, but I, uh, I, I definitely was in attendance. It was pretty darn cool. I see. Oh, that's cool. Um, Sorry, I didn't catch. You were saying what it was called, and I didn't catch it. What is it called? In in Japanese, it's called Hadaka Matsuri. Okay. And, and that translates to Naked Man Festival. Right. Running around with <laughs> not much clothes on in the middle of winter. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, okay. And actually, they um they do. At least they did when I was there. I don't know if they still do. Um, they allow foreigners to participate. And I had a, a couple of friends that actually did participate in the festival. Um, myself, like I have, I have a few tattoos, and, and tattoos are still kind of they were mm-hmm. still kind of seen as taboo. Right. And I didn't want to go through the trouble of covering everything up just to participate. So that's one of the reasons why I did. Mm. But, okay. Um, but it's definitely <laughs> fun to see, even if you don't run through the streets <laughs> in a loin cloth. Yeah, <laughs> I can imagine. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned that you decided you wanted to move on and continue your world tour, so to speak. Um, right. I'm, I'm wondering, you know, since you've been to so many places, did you, oh, did you have like a game plan in mind in terms of, okay, I want to go here and then I want to go here and then I want to spend some time here? Or did you, like, did you just wing it? I don't know if you had a plan in mind, like if you purposefully plan to go to every place you went or if it just you took it one at a time no i definitely took it one at a time i wish i could sit here and say yeah i mapped this out it was a full blueprint no it was oftentimes just living in the moment and and embracing the moment and and the opportunities that came in those moments Mm. obviously that approach still worked out for you because you still were able to get to so many places so you know for sure that it still worked. Uh, you mentioned living in, was it five countries total? So you mm-hmm. mentioned Japan. What were the other countries that you lived in? So there was Japan, after Japan, Korea, after Korea, Oman, after Oman, Saudi Arabia. And I count the states because I'm from here. Oh, right. And, and then I did spend about six weeks in Colombia studying Spanish. Okay. Oh, cool. Wow. When you were studying Spanish in Colombia, was that just because you felt like studying Spanish or, you know? Yeah, that's actually my most recent um, experience of of living abroad, even though it was just a short time. Uh, But I had never been to South America. I had a friend who was an international school teacher there. Mm. Um, So I factored in that I would know someone, I'd be connected. And I reached out to a local school and, and kind of partnered with them to help uh, do some consulting for them in exchange for the Spanish lessons, and, and, and it all worked out. Mm. I did have a, a grand plan to travel around South America once I got to Colombia. Mm. However, that plan took a big turn. I've actually written about this on my blog. Um, <laughs> my very first day in the country, I took a cab and I had my phone, one of those phone places where you could keep your credit cards and whatnot. Mm. And normally I cut my credit cards separate. 
So in, in case anything happened, I'd have one as a backup. But that particular day, I had gone to a supermarket, got some groceries, had everything together, and I left my phone in the cab on my way to my first day of Spanish class. Mm. And I can remember walking into um, the school and telling the uh, owner of the school I left my phone with all my money and credit cards in the cab. And I said, do you think I'll get it back? And he just laughed. He's like, this is bogus talk. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, you're not getting that back. <laughs> Call your bank right away. Can't get card. <laughs> Uh, oh man! <laughs> <laughs> so I um I was without those funds, um, without the ability to 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 take out any money. So I, I basically survived the whole six weeks I was there on um my emergency cash that I had brought, and, mm. and that's and that's a a lesson that travelers can take. Um, always have a sustainable amount of emergency cash on hand in case anything happens that you keep in a, in a safe somewhere mm-hmm. so that if anything happens while you're out, you'll, you'll be able to at least return to that. Yeah, man. I'm sorry that, that, that happened to you. Um, but I don't know, at least the dude was real with you about it and didn't give you any false hope about well, <laughs> trying to find well, here's, him again. And here's the thing, here's the thing, even though I, I wrote about it, I think a spoiler alert, um, I actually got my phone back. Oh, you did? Um, Wonderful. Shockingly, oh, the, the next woman that rode in that particular cab found it. And one thing I do is I always keep a business card in my phone or my wallet. Mm. So, if I lose it, someone on the way to contact me. And she saw my email on my business card, sent me a message, and uh, returned it to me. Oh. Well, okay. I had canceled all my cards, so it's still <laughs> irrelevant, but yeah. I, it was nice to have my IDs back and my, and my phone. You know, yeah. <laughs> I would have been brutal not right. having a phone there the whole time. Yeah, that must have been such a relief. Oh my goodness! Oh, it was it was a huge, <laughs> huge sigh of relief. <laughs> wow. Okay. As far as like Spanish goes, was I mean, was there any particular reason why you were interested in studying that language? Yeah, um, I felt guilty going back to high school for taking Spanish in high school and college, and really not learning anything or having anything stick. Hmm. Um, and, and being off the hills of living in various different countries around the world, Korea, Japan, Middle East, and being able to pick up those languages comfortably, mm. I wanted to go back to Spanish and see if I could really embrace that language the same mm. way I did the others and, and push myself to fully immerse in that language. Yeah. Um, unfortunately... The fact that I did stay with my buddy, I mean, that was great, but I didn't have as much opportunity to practice it outside of the classroom because we, we spoke English when we would hang out. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I didn't have that, that full immersion that I wanted, but I still think it, it helped me a great deal. It pushed me outside of my, my Spanish comfort zone. Yeah. That's interesting. I feel like a lot of people, you know, they recall studying languages and, you know, high school, college, maybe even middle, maybe even middle school as well. And then it's like, oh yeah, I don't remember any of it. And then it just kind of, mm-hmm. it's just kind of, that's it. That's just right. how it is. But you, the right. fact that you actually wanted to revisit it and went to another country to try and <laughs> reconnect with that, that's, um, seems like a really admirable thing to do. Like, like you were really committed to <laughs> reconnecting with this language. You know? For sure. For sure. <laughs> I, and, and I like to, to set, Small challenges. So for me, that was just a, it was a small challenge, to, a way to push myself. Mm. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Um, you mentioned living in Korea, right? Were you teaching mm-hmm. there as well, or were you doing something else? I was teaching there. Okay. As well, um, and actually, I so in Korea, uh, I taught at a university. I was a, a language professor at a university, mm. um, but. Prior to that, my first year in Korea, I was a high school 
um, native teacher at high school. And in my second year, I decided that I really wanted to immerse myself in the language. One of my regrets from living in Japan for three years was that I didn't reach a higher level of fluency. I, mm. I was I was very communicable. Um, I could hold conversations with people in Japanese, no problem. I could understand. I had a, a strong understanding. But in my opinion, my, my level of fluency wasn't as high as I would have liked it. So I made a promise to myself I wouldn't let that much time pass by in Korea and the same thing happened. So my second year in Korea, I actually enrolled in a university in, in intensive language courses mm. and also night classes too. And I only worked part-time for the whole year because I was studying the language. Wow. So, I mean, so since you, you know, had invested all that time and effort, how, how, how do you think, or I guess, how did that go in terms of your Korean proficiency, like the progress you made with learning Korean? Um, I mean, I can't even put into words like the impact it had. Um, especially concerned, I didn't speak one single Korean word before moving to Korea. I didn't know one single word. Wow. Um, so to go to a point now where I could walk up to any native Korean and have a conversation, uh, I, could, I could read text, um, write. It, it, it just it really gave me the confidence to know that, that it's possible to pick up another language. I actually was even on a Korean national television show. And uh, it, was a travel, it was a travel show, and a buddy of mine was the host. And he calls me and says, I'm going to be filming in your town. Do you want to be on the episode with me? And I was like, heck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so in that episode, I was the tour guide. And I, and I did the tour of my local city, and I did it all for Korean. Mm, wow, you were on Korean national television. That is yeah. so cool. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, were, so you had to speak Korean as well as uh, you know, as part of your appearance on on that TV show. Were you speaking Korean the whole time? Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. uh, and and you know, the funny thing is, um, my my buddy he was American too, and, and he did the show in Korean. And I realized it takes all day to film a nine minute episode. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And um, for me, it was like every time I did something, it was one take. And for him, I guess, because he was the main character, they were like, okay, no, no, no. We're going to refilm that. Say it like this. Mm. No, no, no. Say it like that. And then and I'm like, why can't I get to say it like that? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my. What an experience. Yeah. Yeah. And where in, in Korea were you? So my first year was in Incheon. Okay. Uh, my second year I was in Seoul, and uh, the last two years I was at four years total. The last two years when I was at the university, I was in Asa, which is uh, just about an hour south of Seoul. All right. Sorry, I didn't catch it. What did you, What did you say the the last city you were living in was? Asan. A S A N. Okay. All right. Okay. Wow. Four years in Korea teaching. So uh, how did that? Because you were teaching at a university the last two years, how did that compare mm-hmm. to your previous experiences teaching at different levels? You know, oh, I, I loved I loved um, teaching at the university level. After that, that's where I decided, okay, um, for the duration of time that I'll continue teaching, I want to work with university students or adults, and uh, and so that's what I, I did from there on out in my teaching career. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ability to have higher level discussions and, and really do more with the language. Uh, so really rewarding. Okay. Yeah. I was wondering, um, I know a lot of times when people go to teach abroad, a lot of times they're working with kids and then some people do find that they prefer working with like older students or adults. So figured I'd ask and see what made the difference for you in terms of university teaching, uh, compared to something else. So, and you know, I, some people, yeah. Teaching children, um, some people love the ability to get animated and get the kids excited. But, but, and I and I enjoy that as well. But I just I felt like I got more from being able to see that excitement come from adults through meaningful discussions. Mm-hmm. Did you have to do anything like special to be? To be able to teach in a university, like to have any sort of no, like special um, credentials I'm, or something, 
at, at that point, um, being uh, having my background in English, I, that's what I taught when I was teaching here in the States High School of English. Mm-hmm. And having my certification in teaching English as a foreign language and the, the years of experience I had up to that point, I met all of that criteria. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. You had plenty of experience, so, yeah. And in Oman, were you teaching as well, or were you doing something else? Yeah, I, was, I, was at a, I taught at a university there. I was an um, okay. English lecturer, professor at a university there for largely first year, first and second year students. I see. Okay. Wow, so English teaching took you, like, all around the world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, from where you started out teaching and here in the States to Japan and Korea and Oman, that's... That's that's really cool. I, I know that that was, in some ways, that's like a means to an end, right? Because you need like a, a visa, work visa to stay in, in a certain country. But do you feel like teaching is a, a passion of yours? Um, I feel uh, like leadership or, or and guidance are a passion of mine. Mm. Teaching is incorporated into that. So I feel like teaching is one of the things that, that I've been able to grow into and, and excel at, even though I'm not no longer teaching mm-hmm. for, for several years now. It's, it's something that that has has shaped the forging of an evolution of, of self. Um, and I think that, that dates back to athletics as a child, giving me strong characteristics of leadership. And then my first experience traveling abroad just for a couple of weeks, which opened up the world up to me, and then teaching, uh, helping to show me how to connect with others and help others connect across the globe. I see. I'm, that makes sense. Like like you mentioned, like you're, you had your teaching background, but also your background in sports kind of comes together and um, in terms of instilling these characteristics in you, so... And you're like um, a motivational speaker now, right? That's part of what you've been doing, right? Right. That's 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 been a big, uh, been a big chunk of what I've been putting a lot of my energy into over the past few years. I'm actually you mentioned my tennis. I'm actually doing another one on March 11th. Okay. Uh, awesome. This year, um, so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, and just uh, one of the reasons why I, I stepped away from the classroom is because I wanted to have a larger reach and I felt like speaking allows me to have a larger reach and, mm. and, and to have an impact on more than just a classroom at a time. Yeah. I always wonder for people who like your motivational speaker. So like your, it's like in the title, like your, your job or your purpose is to motivate people. But I always wonder if, if like, do you have to go overtime on yourself to stay motivated all the time in order in order to motivate others? Or I guess I'm curious about how that works. <laughs> um, you know, I like to. I don't. I don't really like to use the, the tag motivational. Um, oh, okay. And, and I created my own work to get away from motivational. And I consider myself an illuminational speaker. Mm. Um. And that stems from my mindset to always want to be a light and to always want to bring light into the life of others. I see. And, uh, and for me, um, just maintaining that goal and that mindset of waking up every day and bring light into somebody's life. I don't have to be on the stage to bring light into somebody's life. I can, I can do it just by smiling or mm. by having a conversation. So, so it, it goes much much deeper than just one stage at a time. It's, it's, it's everyday action. And that's that's the, the joy that comes from it. I see. Yeah. Um, I like that. Illuminational. And the, it's like, um, I guess, something that you've made your a lifestyle in a way. Like you, like you said, you embody it even when you're not like on a stage somewhere trying to bring light into the world, bring light into people's lives. For sure. That's deep. For sure. And, it, and it's helped me to be a better person because it's, it's like I have to walk a certain path if I'm telling others to walk the same path or mm-hmm. find their own path along similar roads. Yeah. So it's really caused me to truly evaluate my character and bring the positivity of my words into my life fully. 
Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You, you want to, um, how does it go? Like talk the talk and walk the walk, <laughs> basically. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm really glad that you are, are doing that and you find uh, fulfillment in it. Um, oh, something I forgot to ask about uh, Oman. How long were you in Oman? I was just in Oman for a year. Okay. So it was three years in Japan, four years in Korea, one year in Oman. And two years in Saudi Arabia. Two years in Saudi Arabia. Wow. Okay. Did you, um, well, I don't know if, if you felt any, like being in the Middle East again, after having previously gone to Egypt, uh, if that brought anything up for, for you in terms of being back in this region? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, it was like full circle, you know, hmm. uh, it was one of those, those moments of clarity. Like this is where it all started. And I had the opportunity when I was there to, to, make a few trips to Africa because I was in such close proximity. So mm. I knocked off a few more countries in, in Africa that I was able to get to during my time in the Middle East. So, oh, okay. So this was when you, I'm sorry, we keep bringing stuff up from your TED Talk, but when you went to Kilimanjaro, that was while, while you were living in the Middle East, like you took a trip Correct. to, okay, Africa and Went to the top of a mountain. Oh my goodness! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what really made that special was I planned it around my birthday. Mm. Um, I knew my birthday was going to be the day I, I, I was scheduled to fly out after the climb was done. So I told myself in advance, "All right, I've got to get it." To the top of this mountain, otherwise my birthday's gonna suck this year. Oh, no. <laughs> so that was my motivation. <laughs> yeah, and you did it. I did. I yeah, did. it was it was quite an, an accomplishment. Uh, it was pretty majestic to have that final ascent up the mountain at midnight and walk through the night to get there by six, seven in the morning and. and Below freezing temps, uh, mm. it was it was a thrill. It was a rush. Yeah, did you have to train for that? Because I know, like for say, like Mount Everest, people train for a long time to do that. But I don't know if if, if the same is required for for going up Mount Kilimanjaro. You know, not not really. I think anybody in fairly decent shape could could do it without mm. a lot of training. I did train as far as conditioning my body to, to walk several miles a day because mm-hmm. you, you do walk uh, several hours several miles each day that you're going up uh, but it's it's not a very technical climb it's literally just that just walking for the most part i see um the main thing i had to do leading up to it was just to build those leg muscles and then endurance to to be able to keep going mm-hmm. i was gonna say a bigger um issue than the actual walk itself is dealing with altitude sickness once you get to a certain level. And I did see people have to turn back and mm. go down because they were suffering from altitude sickness. Wow. And that's why you have to take it slow and really pace yourself so that you don't come to that, that, that terrible effects of altitude sickness. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Is that because of the... Like the air pressure or something that makes people sick? Yes. It's, once you get over 10,000 feet, the, uh, the oxygen saturation drops mm. um, for what you normally breathe in. And then the higher you go from there, the lower the level of oxygen gets. Uh, so you're not fully oxygenated. And, and what that can do is it can cause symptoms that, that start as a headache and then can get progressively worse from there. Oh, that's... It's kind of scary. Wow. Actually, did I, I did have a small bout of altitude sickness because I was out there just trying to match the the natives that are used to going up the mountain. I see. Regularly, and and I was trying to match them step for step and going super fast. And like around day two or three, I can remember feeling loopy and horrible and mm. thinking to myself, I might not make it. And so I hydrated. Drinking a lot of water is uh, is, is good uh, mm. way to send oxygen through your body. So I, I hydrated a lot and got a lot of rest that day. And by the next day, the symptoms were gone. So I was like, whew, all right. I, yeah. 
Thank All goodness. Right. Don't try to be Superman. Just do it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that's a good mindset to have. Not to, you know, I mean, you want to push yourself, but not overdo it. Right. So, yeah. So you're able to do that. And your birthday didn't suck but as you were worried that it might. <laughs> So, right. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that was, that was, I, um, I tell people, um, I've had a lot of different birthday cakes over the years, but mm-hmm. coming down from Kilimanjaro, still at the hills of Kilimanjaro, being able to crack open a Kilimanjaro beer was probably the best birthday cake I've had <laughs> in my entire life. <laughs> nice. Nice. That's that's so amazing that you've had so many, just a wide, just a vast array of experiences. Um, I'm wondering, you know, you've been to so many places, right? Either visiting or, you know, living and working and that kind of thing. You're studying, as, as you mentioned as well. Is there any place, or maybe it's uh, multiple places, I don't know, that you would not want to go back to? Ah, uh, wow. That's a that's an interesting question. I, I appreciate that question actually because people always ask, "What's your favorite?" Like, <laughs> and that's that's tough because you go to enough places, everywhere has something special. Right. But a place I would not want to go back. You know, really, there 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 are too many places I wouldn't want to go back because the way I see it is, there's always going to be something to explore. Mm. There might be a, a city. I might not like go back to the same city because I've been there so many times, but yeah. I'll go to that country because there are so many other cities and landmarks and places in that country I haven't been to. Mm. Um, so I'm really racking my brain to think of that somewhere <laughs> that was just so terrible I wouldn't go back. And, and I'm fortunately, uh, thankfully, never had an experience where I was just like, you know what? Forget this place. I'm not going back there ever again in my life. Mm. Um, so yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, it's fortunate that you don't have anywhere that you strongly would uh, refuse to return to. Um, is there anywhere in the future that you would like to go either to like to revisit or to visit for the first time? Any place on your mind that you'd like to go in the future? Man, um, everywhere. <laughs> I I have a goal to visit every country, mm. and I'm just gonna keep trying to plug away at yeah. that. Um, right now, the, the the first step is I want to get into the triple digit club, so I want to scratch a hundred countries off my list. Mm. Um, I've never been anywhere in the Caribbean. So if, mm. to get back to that question, if, if I could pick somewhere like right now that I'm going to plan to go to, it'd probably be somewhere in the Caribbean just because that's a region of the world I've never been to. Okay. All right. Some really big goals as far as, you know, getting to more countries. And, um, you know, that's really great. Hopefully you can get back out there at some point when it's, I guess, safer and easier to do so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, I don't know if you know, since you mentioned wanting to go to every country, I don't know if you know, I think her name is like, is it Jessica or something? There's a black woman who, who completed. She's from Detroit. Yeah. Yeah. So you know about her already. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, for sure. Um, for sure. I'm trying to remember what her name is. Anyway. Yeah. She's from Detroit and she visited every country in the world. I think she, did she complete that last year, 2019? It wouldn't have been last year. I think it might have been I wa- 2019. I want to say. I think it was 2019. Okay. Because, uh, I know she did a TED Talk as well. Detroit, TEDx Detroit, I believe it was. Mm. And she spoke about um, that accomplishment. Okay, yeah. All right. Well, I was going to bring her up in case you didn't know her, in case you needed more inspiration, but you already got it. You already know who she <laughs> um, is. So, <laughs> like, Trust me, I've, I've, I've looked up all of the people that have done it, and I know I'll be on that list one day too. Mm-hmm. You will. You will. I believe it. Uh, oh, getting back, back to, you know, the various experiences you've had, I'm wondering if you have any advice for being able to afford studying abroad, living abroad. Um, is there anything specific that you did to be able to afford doing those things? Um, as far as 
Um, with university students, there are just so many opportunities to get the grants and scholarships. Um, so I'd say for students, just just dive into to ways where they can not have to stress about paying to go abroad. They'll have those opportunities mm. to them. Um, and, and for adults, just be open-minded and, and be open for new experiences, opportunities. Don't limit yourself to stay at saying, well, I'm only going to stay downtown in the Ritz Carlton. You need to push yourself mm-hmm. to um, step outside of your comfort zone and, and, and really connect with some locals. Um, and I, I'd say, as you've seen from my example, like if opportunities come, don't, don't hesitate. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Yeah, I was, I was just, as you were talking, I was just go- thinking to ask, like, if maybe you've ever felt like loneliness, you know, traveling as much as you have to all these countries around the world. But, and then you mentioned connecting with locals. So I don't know if, if that's what, if you've dealt with any lon- loneliness, is that what you use to counter that is trying to connect with the people who are around you and, and whatever place you're in at the time? Uh, now, more so than in the past. Okay. There's, there's, Really, no such thing as loneliness, in my opinion. Um, if, you, if you really push yourself to to even just spark a conversation with someone, uh, yeah. we can stay connected so easily nowadays. Um, I think back to when I traveled, and there were no Facebooks or phones or people connecting through social media, and we still forge those friendships. Now we've got everything we need. Mm. To stay connected, um, one thing I, I, I'd like to do in every country I visit is capture a photo of me and someone that's a complete stranger smiling again, and I'll, and I'll hashtag it, thousand miles, thousand smiles, and mm. just showing that no matter where you are in the world, what your opinion of the place might have been or someone might have told you, you'll find somebody there that's going to give you a smile. Mm. Oh, that's nice. I like that. Um perspective and, and that's a good attitude to have also not to be so i guess maybe fearful or guarded when you're in a new place uh amongst right. people you don't know so yeah thank you for for sharing that okay well then my my last question for you is where can people reach you or keep up with you online if you would like them to do so um e3 motivates on uh, e number three motivates is my Instagram, my Twitter, and on LinkedIn, it's just my name, Edward G. Young III. Mm. And uh, my website is RebornStronger.com. It's, it's under development right now, but I've still got like about a hundred plus travel-related posts out there. Oh, that. wow. Yeah, so E3 Motivates on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, your name on LinkedIn and then Reborn Stronger is your website. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So lots of options for people to see what you're doing or reach out to you and whatnot. Okay. Cool. Cool. Yeah. And thank you for inviting me on to the show. Uh, yeah. It's been a pleasure. I, yeah. It's been a pleasure having you on. Thank you for your time today. Yeah. It's been really great. I, I, I I figured this would be interesting, being that you've been to so many countries. But I, you know, as with all <laughs> interviews I do, I didn't know how it was going to go or what specifically we would talk about. So I'm really glad how this turned out. And I, um, yeah, I hope you had a good time. I enjoyed hearing about what you've done. So hopefully you enjoyed this as well. Yeah, for sure. For sure, yeah. it was fun. Great. Well, I'm glad to hear it. So I let you go enjoy the rest of your Sunday and. And um, I'll keep in touch as April 20th approaches. (laughs) All right. Sounds awesome. Thanks again. Yes. Thank you as well. Um, Eddie, you take care. All right. All right. You too. All right. Bye. Bye. (laughs) All right, y'all. There it is. Thanks to Edward for being such a wonderful guest. And I hope you like how this all turned out. For the rest of you listening, don't forget to follow this podcast at Young Gifted and Abroad on Instagram and Facebook and at YG Abroad on Twitter. And don't forget to check out guest profiles and resource lists on younggiftedandabroad.com. Also, if you enjoy what you've been hearing so far, 
then please continue listening to this podcast wherever podcasts are. And you are welcome to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts while you're at it. And as always, if you have questions or comments to share, or if you yourself would like to be a guest on the show, then feel free to email me at younggiftedandabroad at gmail.com. So for the next episode in two weeks, uh, the interview for that has not been recorded yet, but (laughs) provided that all goes well, uh, the guest for that episode should be someone who has studied abroad in almost half a dozen countries. I'm still not sure how she managed it all. I'm excited to find out. Um, But again, hopefully (laughs) you can look forward to hearing all about that in two weeks. But until then, thank you so much for listening and talk to you next time.